This is It Was a Thing on TV. Punisher! Control! Tell me before I change my mind! I give you Super Train! Episode 331, Submission 2309, The Facts of Life, Season 1. The Facts of Life, Season 1, aired on NBC from August 24th, 1979 to June 11th, 1980, for 13 episodes. There's a place you gotta go for learning all you want. Spinoff, Tale as Old as Time, take a very popular character and give them their own show. NBC was in desperate need of a popular show, at least in 1978, and they got one in different strokes. Yeah, that was like their only big hit back then, and that season was different strokes. Yep, that was the sole bright spot of the fall 1978 schedule. Yeah. And everybody in America, they all loved Gary Coleman. They all loved Gary Coleman. Todd Bridges, Dana Plato, and Conrad Bain, they were just okay. However, sort of the surprise breakout role of the series, the housekeeper Edna Garrett. Played by Charlotte Ray, of course. Oh, yes. Mrs. Garrett. Everybody loves Mrs. Garrett. Yep. And it got to the point where she was given her own focus episode, and it served as the backdoor pilot to the Facts of Life. It was called The Girls' School, and it took place at Eastlake Academy, where Kimberly was attending school when she wasn't hanging out with her new brothers and her dad in Midtown Manhattan. See, Eastlake School for Girls is in upstate New York, and Greg, how long does it take to travel from upstate to Midtown, do you think? I don't know. It depends on where Eastlake was. I mean, did they... Was it... If it was, like, in Westchester... It was in Peekskill, New York. Okay, uh, Peekskill, New York. So let me just... Peak skill, New York to Midtown Manhattan into Google. Uh, one hour and 11 minutes, according to Google, or 45.6 miles. Oh, that's not bad. Yeah. It's like the worst part is hitting city traffic. Yeah, basically. But that's okay because, but that's okay because Mr. Drummond has a limo. Oh, yeah. 
She doesn't have to ride the school bus. Nope. Hey, Chuck Testa, does Kimberly Drummond have to ride the school bus? Nope. I didn't think so. So, here we are at East Lake School for Girls, and they have a problem. The dorm's house mother recently quit. And right before the gigantic student play that Kimberly was in, too. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Yeah, so what are we going to do about this? Well, Mrs. Garrett, because she's a real one, decides, you know what? I'll handle it. And so she does. In typical Mrs. Garrett form. In fact, I've got the episode uh, right up right here. Mrs. Garrett helps out the girls of a chaotic dormitory at Eastlake School for Girls. That's the one-line sum-up from Truth by Consensus Wikipedia. But among the girls that were of Garrett's girls, we have the upper-crust rich lady Blair, the boy-crazy Nancy, the small-town girl Sue Ann, the chatty Tootie, and the budding activist, Molly. Now, Mrs. Garrett does manage to fix things for Kimberly's play, and she's asked to stay on as the new house mother, but says that she would rather remain working for the Drummonds. But something must have happened, because we see that not only is Mrs. Garrett preparing to move in as the new house mother, but she's brought her entire TV family with her in the first episode. We also see a couple of students that weren't in the pilot that are mysteriously in the dorm with these ladies, and that would be the Joker Natalie, the tomboy Cindy, and the headmaster of the school, which is now Eastland instead of East Lake, Mr. Stephen Bradley. Now, Mrs. Garrett did make the trip to Eastland, but Kimberly would only appear in the pilot. So the focus would be on Mrs. Garrett taking care of her girls and this incredibly large common room that seems to be, you know, the center of all of the action. I'm thinking back to the precinct in Barney Miller, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Except they go outside once in a while. Yeah, I don't think... Did they ever go outside on Borny Miller? Not after season three. Yeah, they probably couldn't afford it. Yeah. So, let's go over the facts of the facts of life. See what I did there? Yes. Okay. Uh, as we mentioned, Edna Garrett was played by Charlotte Ray, and she's bringing her character from different strokes into the fold. So there is that built-in audience that's coming from that show. And then you have the people that you remember. Blair Warner, played by Lisa Walchel. 
Natalie Green, played by Mindy Cohn, and Dorothy Tootie Ramsey, played by Kim Fields. Notice that I'm keeping a straight face when I say that. Why are you keeping a straight face when you say that? Shadow, answer the man's question. Oh, yeah, that's last week. I forgot. So those are the girls that you know. Here are the people you don't know. Playing Nancy Olsen is Blaise Schachter, who you would probably remember as the female lead in the original Zapped movie. Oh my god! Zapped! <laughs> Scott Bayo and, um... Scott Bayo and Willie Ames. Oh my Jesus. What a terrible movie that was. Yeah, it was terrible. But you gotta love the soundtrack. And she was actually from 1978 to 1987, outside of the facts of life, she was a that girl from that thing. In fact, she was on an episode of a show that we recently covered, ER. So that would be E slash R. Yes! And she is going to come up in a month or two. Oh? Oh! Oh, I see. I see. <laughs> and then we have as Sue Ann Weaver, Julie Pekarski, who actually parlayed this role into a role as a journalist, believe it or not. Wow! Yeah. Although she would come back to acting when she appeared in 2021's pilot season, which was a miniseries that aired. When did pilot season air? It was a comedy anthology miniseries. There was a website for it, but there was no network for it as far as my research can see. Okay, so it's probably an internet thing. It's probably an internet thing. You know what? That's cool. Yeah. Like, Cindy Webster was Julianne Haddock. Uh, Cindy Webster was the frenemy of Blair Warner. And last time we saw her, actually, this was her last role in a regular series. But she did play... Melinda Mulligan in all seven episodes of Mulligan Stew. What the hell is Mulligan Stew? It's like a post Brady Bunch Brady Bunch. Oh, okay. How long yeah, did that last? Like all seven episodes. Oh, what network did this air on? It aired on NBC. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. And it aired in 1977. And I don't know if it's on the list. But who knows? Well, it is now. Okay. And then we have the bookish Molly Parker, who is played by Molly Ringwald. She's she's doing well for herself. Oh, yes, she is. She's only been in every other teen movie in the 1980s. Yeah. Only every other one. Janie. I made that bet. 
before I knew you. Before I really knew me. Oh, Jake. Okay, hold it right there. Please tell me that you didn't just quote Freddie Prince Jr. I knew it. That was a line from She's All That. I masturbate to that movie. Uh, do you mind? No, not at all. I think masturbation's very healthy. Not only did we work in a reference to Chris Evans, but we also provide you with valuable sex education on the It Was a Thing on TV podcast. We're not going to be an overachieved here. You all know who Molly Ringwald is, so let's not even... Wait a minute, Chico. We did a live show with Molly Ringwald in it like a couple months ago. Okay, you're going to have to remind me which live show this We is. did the Kissing Booth, remember? That would be it, yeah. <laughs> By the way, the Kissing Booth 2 is scheduled. Is We're scheduled. not going to say when, but it's scheduled. We're going to be two-thirds of the way through this era after we're done with this. And like all trilogies, it's going to be bigger than the first, but bigger than the third. It's going to be the Empire Strikes Back of this trilogy. The Empire Strikes Back of the trilogy. And perhaps the search for Spock of this trilogy as well, because you remember, Star Trek's 2, 3, and 4 were a trilogy. Oh, that's right. Everyone forgets that. Yeah, Search for Spock is actually the middle part of a trilogy that begins in 2. Yeah. And then we have the adults in the situation playing Stephen Bradley, the headmaster of the Eastland Academy, is John Lawler, who you probably saw him in, I want to say, his longest role since The Backs of Life was four episodes of Godless from 2017. Hold on a second. He's been on a show we've covered before. He was in a 1981 episode of Here's Boomer. Yep, he played John Hawthorne in that episode. Oh, Boomer in the Pound. Oh, that was the episode where Boomer was in the Pound. But that's not the only thing he was on that we covered. Oh? He was in an episode of Kondo. Oh, yes, Kondo. The episode, The Affair, episode 11. Yep. So yeah, John Lawler's been busy. And then we have Jenny O'Hara, who plays Miss Emily Mahoney, who is a very uptight, very haughty totty teacher. Now I have to ask, because she played similar roles in... Two episodes of A Million Little Things. And the entire run of Limit from the late 80s and early 90s on CBS to Hot in Cleveland in 2015. And The Ghost Whisperer in 2005. And future entry Michael Hayes when we get around to covering the non-CSI, non-NYPD blue career of David Caruso. And just for the record... He's playing a lawyer named Michael Hayes, not the wrestler Michael Hayes. It'd yes. be a great show if it was about Michael Hayes and the Fabulous Freebirds, but no. No. But the question I have to ask is, 
Is this typecasting? Yes. This has been Is This Typecasting? Surprisingly, she only appeared in the first four episodes that aired before NBC decided to pull the show for slight retooling. But we'll get to that. But we will get to that. So you're probably wondering what sort of hilarity is going to ensue in a house full of seven girls. Hey, Corky, there's going to be a lot of shenanigans on this show, right? You won't believe what happened. So, obviously, they have to get some of the best writers that they can find to flush out everything that goes on on this show. So, NBC and TAT Communications, the producer of this show, put all of their hopes on the writing team of Dick Clare and Jenna McMahon. Now, Dick Clare was, of course, a screenwriter for The Mary Tyler Moore Show and The Bob Newhart Show, and he won an Emmy for The Carol Burnett Show. His partner, Jenna McMahon, born Mary Virginia Skinner, I just brought that up so you could bring that up, was a veteran actress who appeared in Dennis the Menace, The Twilight Zone, Love American Style, The Bob Newhart Show, and Welcome Back, Connor. Hold on. Was she involved in the new Love American Style? No. Well, she then was sc- not. screw that. As we've established on this podcast, the only Love American Style that matters is the new Love American Style. Because it's the new Love American Style, not the old Love American Style. But, yeah. Uh, Dick Clare and Jenna McMahon would earn an Emmy nomination collectively for their work on Soap in 1981. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. Suffice it to say, lots of chops. Lots of chops. Dick Clare and Jenna McMahon won the Emmy for the Carol Burnett show three times. So, they know a thing or two about being funny. Question now is, can they make seven girls and three adults funny enough to help NBC in 1979? God, I hope so. Let's see what we have in store here. Episode one, Roughhousing. Cindy decides not to attend the Harvest Ball when Blair intimates that because of her tomboyishness, she might be a lesbian. This was episode one. The facts of life were going hard as hell. Oh. Mm. Yeah. The Drummonds visit Edna at Eastland School during the Harvest Queen competition, hoping she'll come back to work for them. But she's enjoying her time helping the girls, girls! Visiting the girls, Stephen Bradley, the new headmaster, extends curfew for the school for the night, which frustrates Emily Mahoney, one of the teachers. Meanwhile, the girls endorse Cindy to run against Blair for Harvest Queen. Blair soon makes a comment about her not being feminine enough, and even tries to insinuate that she's a lesbian. The comet affects Cindy, and she decides not to attend the Harvest Ball until Mrs. Garrett helps her with her self-image. I'm not saying it, but I'm thinking it. 
And if you know, you know. And Greg, I think you know. Blair Warner is trash! And of course, we have the cast of Different Strokes reprising their roles. Conrad Bean is Philip Drummond. Gary Coleman is Arnold. Todd Bridges as Willis. And Dana Plato as Kimberly. Episode 2. Like mother, like daughter. Blair fears she will get a reputation for being easy because her multiple divorcee mother is caught flirting with another student's married father. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Yeah, it's parents' night, and the theme is Vive la France. Blair is excited because her mother, Monica Warner, is coming to visit. Like Blair, she's an artist herself, and Mr. Bradley comes in, ushers everyone to get ready for the event, then here comes Blair's mother, and Mr. Bradley is instantly smitten. Because why not? Another girl's father, Justin French, comes in, and Monica, Monica Warner, is surprised to see him there. As they go off and talk, Blair sees that something is going on, and she talks to Mrs. Garrett about it. Blair then overhears Justin and Monica making a date for later on. Hello! The gossip about the affair spreads like wildfire among the girls from Tootie and Natalie, obviously. Blair is so disgusted by her mother's behavior that she tries everything she can to be unlike her mother as possible. She confronts her mother about getting involved with a married man, and when Blair mentions that she was divorced three times, Monica slaps Blair, who runs up to her room. Mrs. Jean soon talks to Blair about how she was totally rough on her mother, and Blair has to be so she won't make the same mistakes her mother did. Like Mrs. Garrett mentioned, the leaf doesn't fall too far from the tree. So, hearing that the wind takes the leaf and blows it to a place where it takes root and starts a new tree, Blair realizes she's not her mother and starts to relax a bit. She comes down for the party. She sees her mother helping out with the cooking and the serving. She apologizes, and they start to understand one another better. Oh, Now, this is the only episode where Monica Warner is played by Pam Huntington, who hasn't really done much before this and hasn't really done much since. As we know here in the future... Monica Warner's regular actress is Marge Dusay. I want to say she's had a more fruitful career than Pam Huntington. She was on Capital and Guiding Light. Sadly, no longer with us. And then playing Justin Branch is Donald May, who is also a veteran of one of your stories. He was on The Edge of Night. And also, sadly, no longer with us. Yeah, passed away last January. Yep. Episode three, The Return of Mr. Garrett. Mr. Garrett? I didn't know there was a Mr. Garrett. I didn't know there was a Mr. Garrett either. Mrs. Garrett considers her ex-husband's proposal of remarriage, but changes her mind when she discovers he's teaching the girls how to gamble. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Playing the role of Mr. Garrett, and Greg and I were talking about this before we started recording, but playing the role of Robert Garrett, Mr. Garrett, Mr. G, 
not the weatherman, but Mr. G, Robert Alda. Yeah, and it's funny because, as we mentioned, Robert Alda was on Super Train, and as we've already established, Mr. Drummond worked for the Trans-Allied Corporation, which made the Super Train. So, yes, the facts of life, different strokes, and Super Train, all part of the same cinematic universe. And Hello Larry, don't forget about that. And Hello Larry, and the Fresh Prince! That's right! Fresh Prince is part of that, too. Although, how would you get from Midtown Manhattan to Bel Air, Los Angeles? You know what? I'm getting off Mr. The Drummond probably has some private plane somewhere. Yeah, probably. I'm like, you know what? I'm getting off track here. Let's continue. Episode 4. IQ. When Tootie stumbles upon elementary school IQ results ordered by their headmaster... The girls are stunned to find out that their scores don't necessarily match their current academic reputation. Nancy and Sue Ann, naturally, not happy with the results. Because, I don't know if Nancy and Sue Ann have a reputation of being overachievers, but their IQ test is basically uh, in the toilet. While Tootie's is, oh hi, I'm a smart person. Now this is the last time we see Miss Mahoney in this season, or frankly, ever. Because after this episode, NBC put the show on hiatus for a bit of retooling. They basically started to take everything that worked, elevated it, and relegated everything that didn't work to the background. Or in Miss Mahoney's case off the show. So fast forward to March 12th, 1980, when NBC decided not just to uh, retool the show, but to make it follow different strokes in a stroke of genius. I'll be over here now. And the episode? Overachieving. Tootie's father thinks Mrs. Garrett's influence over Tootie is holding her back after she reveals her aspirations of opening a beauty salon. Why is that so terrible? That's not terrible. She wants to be a businesswoman. She wants to be a girl boss. She is a sister doing it for herself. And, oh, interestingly enough, you want to talk about uh, Stroke of Genius? The episode of Different Strokes that aired right before this episode of The Facts of Life was the Slumber Party episode, and it features a crossover with the cast of The Facts of Life. Oh, so that's a good idea. They want people to remember, okay, Mrs. Garrett, she's now at the school, so we're bringing the show back. We got to get everybody prepared to refresh their memory on everybody in the cast by having different strokes lead into the facts of life in its new slot. Yep. I'll tell you right now, do a little bit of a comparison here for the first four episodes. The show aired opposite fantasy Island Friday nights at eight 30. We do not have a rating per the extent of our research, but I have to wonder 
was it bad if it was opposite Fantasy Island? Probably. So they switched it out to Wednesdays following different strokes. And it had to replace Hello Larry in that slot. Did really well for itself. Even well opposite Charlie's Angels. Anyway, playing the role of Harrison Ramsey, Tootie's dad, Robert Hooks, who is known as Dwight Henderson in Passenger 57 and as Eddie in Airport 77 and Admiral Morrow in Star Trek 3. Oh, that guy! The guy who has to tell Kirk, nope, you can't take the Enterprise. What? I can't hear you. I'm taking the Enterprise. Oh, damn, he took the Enterprise. James B. Seeking, Miguel Ferrer, you have to catch Kirk. Oh, no, the warp drive went down. Oh, oh, dang it. (laughs) But you know what? Since you mentioned Passenger 57, you know what I always think of whenever I think of that movie? What's that? That immortal Wesley Snipes line. Always bet on black. Cinematic gold. It was. By the way, that movie had a pre-fame Elizabeth Hurley. This was before Elizabeth Hurley was Elizabeth Hurley, and back when Elizabeth Hurley was just some random British lady who looked nice. You know, I actually, true story, like on the last day of summer school, when we were like waiting for our buses, like one of my teachers said, F it, we'll just put on passenger 57 while you wait for the buses. What? Yeah. Serious? Seriously. The last day of summer school, because I think the last day of summer school, the way it worked was I think you had like half a day of summer school and like the buses, I don't know what the, there was like some deal with the buses. So they just, cause it was like, well, it's the last day of summer school. It's a bunch of BS. No one's doing any work or anything. Eh, we'll just watch Passenger 57 in the class. Huh. And for those wondering, I only did summer school every year because my mom and dad did not want me around the house all summer. Episode 6. Emily Dickinson. Oh, Emily Dickinson. This is one of the classic episodes of The Facts of Life. Blair plagiarizes an Emily Dickinson poem about beauty, but gets caught when the headmaster submits it into a competition, and it wins! What? You heard me. Why did he submit this poem? I have absolutely no idea. I'm guessing he was so taken aback by the sheer beauty of it that he didn't know any better. Or, for all we know, Mr. Bradley could be one of those public school-educated headmasters who didn't know no better. But yeah, um, this was actually Stan Dreven's last show. He wrote the episode. It was his last show ever written. He died on February 16th, almost a month before it aired. Oh. Yeah. And by now, the show would be back on Fridays, 
but opposite the Incredible Hulk and something called When the Whistle Blows. I have no idea what it is either. I have to wonder where King of the Hill plagiarized its own caught cheating on an essay episode from this episode of The Facts of Life. I don't know. Episode 7. Dieting. Sue Ann goes on a crash diet after the pressure of everyone's body consciousness, and Blair's intimating that a boy won't like her makes her feel fat. Thanks a lot again, Blair. I swear to God, Blair! Playing a prospective suitor for one of the girls, a guy by the name of Steve, Greg Bradford. He was also in Zapped. He played Robert Walcott in Zapped. In Zapped. He was the jerk. Oh, he was the jerk? Every 80s teen comedy has a jerk. Oh, yes. He was the archetype for the Ted McGinley character in Revenge of the Nerds, and also Sensei Johnny Lawrence. You know, before the heel face turn. Oh, but episode eight is the facts of love. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, let me read this. To the chagrin of the headmaster, Mrs. Garrett holds a sex education class. Boing. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Meanwhile, Blair gets into a compromising situation with a boy and has to make a tough decision. Yeah, she does. Uh, and... Greg, Greg Bradford's back as Steve. Uh, I'm guessing he's the boy that Blair's caught in a compromising position with. Yeah. We have a fun fact about Mrs. Garrett that we learned on this episode is that she is actually a registered nurse. Oh. And as such is highly qualified to talk on matters of biology, let's say. An interesting quote from IMDb, we have Molly saying, I don't think I want the government controlling my hormones. And Mrs. G saying, don't worry, Molly, they haven't been able to control anything lately. The more things change. <laughs> Episode 9, Flash Blood. A serious flood hits Peak Skull, so Blair and Tootie rush to the stables to protect the animals, only to become trapped there. When Mr. Bratley rescues them, Blair develops a case of hero worship, which she mistakes for love. What? So we have a May to December unrequited crush meets a trapped in a small place? Lot. You are kidding me. Uh, we have a couple of names in this episode. Playing a soldier in this episode. I'm guessing he's with the National Guard because Flash Flood. Who else are you going to call? Vincent Bufano, who played Turtle Romero in all six episodes of Flatbush. Oh, he was in an episode of Future Entry. David Cassidy, Man Undercover. Yep. 
right before he landed the Flatbush gig. So there you go. Two future entries for one episode. Yay! But played a TV announcer, Bird Bennett. Veteran announcer, Bird Bennett. If we were to list everything he's ever announced on television, we would be here for a long time. He was the original voice of the Bold and the Beautiful. The original voice. Yeah, and he was the voice of the Young and the Restless from 1973 to 2000. And he was also, I imagine, a frequent guest announcer for many game shows. Among them, Match Game, Password, I've Got a Secret, Your Surprise Package, Keep Talking to Tell the Truth, What's My Line, Beat the Clock, Stop the Music, Winner Take All. And he was also a guest on 1990s to tell the truth. I think he was an imposter. I may be wrong on that. Okay. One goof in this episode, according to IMDb, when Mrs. Garrett goes outside to retrieve the wet newspaper, you can clearly see it is a copy of the Los Angeles Times, which would be highly unlikely to be freshly delivered as the daily newspaper of a school set in Peekskill, New York. Yeah. Episode 10. Adoption. Blair noses into Natalie's business, shocker, and arranges for her to talk to her birth mother, by phone. So, I guess we learned here that Natalie is adopted. Yeah. And according to the trivia on this episode, Natalie was born on September 2nd, 1966, and learned she was adopted when she was five. Episode 11. Running. The headmaster pits two of the girls against each other in a track competition, which causes conflict. Of course, the two girls would be Sue Ann and Cindy. Because last time I checked, I don't believe we've had focus episodes on those two. But it's causing a lot of conflicts for the rest of the girls, including Blair receiving a black eye. Uh oh. Uh oh. And this was the last Friday night episode of the series before it moved to Wednesdays for the rest of the series. Because you gotta plug that Hello Larry shaped hole with something. Oh, and Greg Bradford's back as Steve in this episode. Sure. All right, episode 12. Molly's Holiday. Molly's upset that her parents are getting a divorce so the girls decide to try and get them back together. But her father shows up with... someone. Ooh, hello. Molly's dad, played by William Bogert. Oh yeah, he was in a lot of things. He was uh, Matthew Broderick's dad in War Games. He was Matthew Broderick's dad in War Games. He was also... Mr. Brindle, Harriet's dad... In Small Wonder. Yes, but hold on a second, Chico. He was also in Chappelle's show. He was in that Clayton Bixby sketch as the presenter of the PBS program. I swear to God, you do not drop that without a clip, sir. You do not drop that reference without a clip. Oh, well, then I gotta play a clip of that. Damn right you do. Uh, excuse me. Not sure we're in the right place. 
We're looking for Clayton Bigsby. Well, look no further, fella. You found me. Uh, Clayton Bigsby, the author? What, you don't think I can write them books? Just because I'm blind don't mean I'm dumb. How could this have happened? A black white supremacist. Wait a minute. Hold on, Chico. He was in, and you're not going to believe this. He was in a 1977 episode of McMillan and Wife. Damn, this guy's been in everything. Yeah. Susan, what's your reaction to that news that he was in an episode of McMillan and Wife, the show you were on? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. That is the correct reaction. And then the someone that Mr. Parker brings is named Angela and is played by Lee Crawford who is actually in an episode of Different Strokes playing a different character in the same year. She has a bit of television history behind her. Lee Crawford spoke the first words on The Young and the Restless. Oh, neat! Back in 1973. And the final episode of the season... Dope. Blair gets Sue Ann into a clique known as The Group whose members are all marijuana smokers. What? Yeah. She found a group called The Group. And it's she called just, The Group. She just assumed, oh, it's a group. It's a group. She did not know what this was about. She didn't know what the group was about, but all they know is they all like to light a J, smoke a doobie, pasta dutchy on the left-hand side. They like to get stupid, which in 2022 would not be that big of a deal. But in 1980, oh, you bet it's going to be a effing big deal. Playing the role of one member of the group, a girl by the name of Emily, Helen Hunt. I'm sure her career went nowhere after this. Yeah, Helen Hunt was known for this particular episode of The Facts of Life and nothing else. So, in brief, Blair gets Sue Ann into an exclusive group called The Group. It's so exclusive. <laughs> this group is so exclusive. They don't have a name for themselves. They're just called The Group. Blair reveals to Sue Ann that what the group does, marijuana. They go to Sue Ann's initiation, which requires her to smoke. Tootie shows up to see what they do. Blair gets her out of there. Then they ask Blair and Sue Ann to smoke, but Blair refuses. Sue Ann reluctantly does, and it affects her schoolwork. Because Reaper Madness. Tootie buys what she saw in the room and shows it to Mrs. Garrett, who tells her that it's drug paraphernalia. So, yeah. At the end of this particular episode, Mrs. Garrett huddles around Tootie, Natalie, Blair, and Sue Ann and says, Well, at least our group is back together again. You want to know what the irony is? That's the last episode for the group. That's the last episode for them as a group. And I'll tell you why 
right after these era appropriate commercials. After these messages, we'll be right back. On Disney, a famous rock star is out to rescue a hunted tiger. I gotta save him. I don't know how, but, but I have to do it. Then, on a special two-hour chips, Ponch and John are locked in the battle of the super wheels as Supercar takes on the super cycle. Then, beyond and back, stories of people who claim to have died and return to tell about it. Startling stories you won't be able to forget. Beyond and back. Disney chips, then beyond and back, Sunday. This is 500 bucks, and Jeep Corporation wants you to have it. That's right. A $500 rebate on any new Jeep Cherokee, like this tough Laredo, Bold Chief, or a four-door Cherokee. And remember, Bronco and Blazer can't beat our traction or our gas mileage. So make your best deal and get a $500 rebate. Apply it to your down payment or get a check from Jeep Corporation. Cherokee's always been a great deal, and we just made it 500 bucks better. The Empire strikes back. The Star Wars saga continues. The rebels are there, and I'm sure Skywalker's with them. He will join us or die. The rebel forces battle the Empire and Darth Vader. Join me. Don't make me destroy you. The Empire strikes back. Rated PG. Coming to your galaxy Wednesday, May 21st. It's TV's hottest game show. Contestants get a chance to win the kind of money and prizes that gamblers dream about. It's the Joker's Wild, a fast-paced half hour of fun and excitement with Quizmaster Jack Barry handing out the money. Don't miss the thrills and suspense every weekday afternoon at 4 here on Channel 7. Proud as a peacock. On NBC Sports World, the Elite Boxing Club squares off against the Kenya national team tomorrow. Welcome back. Or if you're fast-forwarding through this on Podbean, where have you been? So the last time we left this group of girls at Eastland Academy, they were celebrating being a part of their own exclusive group. But the irony of this, because this was the last episode of the season, NBC had some choices to make. See, Dick Claire and Jenna McMahon, writing for The Carol Burnett Show, easy. Writing for seven girls and three adults, hard. So, the official logline, because... I can just bring out the uh, truth by consensus Wikipedia here. For the facts of life, the official logline was that the show is being retooled again to focus more on Mrs. Garrett and a core group of girls that would seemingly be the center of all the action in Eastland. But here's the thing about that. This season of the facts of life, it was not a winner on Friday nights when it debuted. In fact, for the 1979-1980 season, it placed between Wednesday night and Friday night, 74th out of 79 shows. Ooh. 
NG, no good. It was NBC's lowest rated series. In a word, yikes. Now, normally if you have the lowest rated series on television, that would have been gone. That would have been it. That would have been the whole series goodbye. However, with so much clout behind it, and with the network believing in it, they decided to go ahead and retool the show to put the focus, to narrow the focus on Mrs. Garrett and a core group of girls. They put it on Wednesday at 9.30, and it immediately found its voice. It placed 26th during season two, 24th during season three, 32nd during season four, 24th during season five, then 34th during season six, 27th during season seven, 31st during season eight, and by the time it ended in 1988, it placed 37th. So it did pretty well for itself the rest of the run. Yes. It was on Wednesday at 9.30, and it stayed there ever since, except for the last season, which moved to, I want to say, Saturdays? Yeah, Saturday, 8 o'clock. Yeah. Hold on. Do you know what it ran up against? What did it run up against? Boys will be boys. Oh, boy. The retooled version of Second Chance 1987. <laughs> and like we said when we covered Second Chance, up against Backs of Life, it had zero chance. Go back to episode 58. And by the way, it moved to Saturdays during season seven. But what happens to the rest of the girls? Well, Nancy, Sue Ann, and Cindy would recur for the next couple of seasons, you know, when the plot would call for it. Molly was a guest on a single episode of season two. But aside from that, and a reunion shot in season eight... We really don't see much of them ever again. Well, we see Nancy, Sue Ann, and Cindy in the reunion episode in Season 8, but we don't see Molly. Not important why. She's busy having detention on a Saturday in Shermer, Illinois. It's a long way from Peekskill, New York, I'll tell you that much. But yes... You're thinking, let's go through this one at a time here. Let's start with Nancy, the boy crazy one. She takes the focus off of Blair, who is equally boy crazy, and Sue Ann, who is also equally boy crazy by virtue of being Blair's frenemy. So a bit of redundancy when you have three boy crazy teenagers who hang out with each other. You gotta get it down to one. So ultimately, they got it down to Blair. 
Now, in the beginning, according to Real Rundown, Nancy was a strong character, but somewhere along the line, as the first season, the character began to fade into the background to another character's foreground, and that character just happens to have been Blair. So she was demoted from main character in season one to recurring roles in seasons two and three. And by the end of season three, she was completely gone until the season eight reunion episode. And on the other end of that spectrum, we have Julie Pekarski's Sue Ann Weaver, who, of course, was the frenemy of Blair but she was the second one to be cut. By the way, the ironic thing about Nancy, if I can go back to Nancy real quick, she was actually the first girl to be cast for the Facts of Life. Yeah. But Sue Ann, of course, because she is the frenemy of Blair, takes focus off of her. So you have three people, you want to build up one character you have to choose the strongest character, and they went with Blair. And Sue Ann was the second one cut. The third one cut was Cindy, who they really couldn't find any role outside of that character development over Arch that happened in the pilot. But this was 1980. You're not going to make a character like Cindy into a one-note joke about how she's the tomboy and is she or isn't she. Not for a family sitcom and not 1980. But, but she did return for the reunion show and, well, she became a model, so, you know... Oh, okay. The last one to be cut was Molly Parker. Because I guess there wasn't room in the cast for a conspiracy-talking, bookish, youngest member of the cast. Not when Tootie and Natalie were around. But then she got cast in a movie with... Uh, Paul Mazursky directing. So, you know, as for Miss Mahoney, who was gone after four episodes and technically was the first person to be cut from the cast, I guess they didn't mesh with the rest of the cast. I mean, I can see why her character didn't mesh with any of the cast because, well, you look at all seven girls and they're all vibrant and different. And then you look at Mrs. Garrett, and she's vibrant and different, and she plays well opposite Mr. Bradley. But Miss Mahoney was just there. Sort of kind of the wet blanket of the group, I guess. But don't cry for Jenny O'Hara's career. She's done fine for herself. And the last one to be cut... The last adult to be cut, anyway. They completely wrote out Stephen Bradley's character. For no other reason than, I guess, he didn't mesh well with the rest of the girls who were staying on. 
But ultimately, the moves turned out to be rather fruitful ones. Like I said, this is what happens when you decide to retool a show and build it for success. Success breeds success. And of course, we all know about what happened in season two when Mrs. Garrett, Blair, Natalie, and Tootie welcome a kid who is there from the Bronx on a scholarship. A kid who just wanted to ride her motorcycle and wear her motorcycle jacket. A kid by the name of Joe Polnicek. And all because Brandon Tartikoff spotted Nancy McKeon in the Hallmark commercial and knew she had to be on the show. So yeah, first season of The Facts of Life radically different from the others. What are your thoughts, Greg? Yeah, it's easy to see why this show got retooled. I mean, you could sense there was something there, but like the formula just wasn't quite right yet. I think this is one of the rare cases where a show gets retooled and actually works out in the end. Because how many times have we seen a show get retooled on this podcast and it never works? More times than I can count. There have been shows that are on the list that have suffered from retooling and shows that we have covered that suffered from retooling and shows we've yet to cover that suffered from retooling. Well, we just mentioned one. We mentioned Second Chance 1987 when it got retooled into Boys Will Be Boys. That got mm-hmm. retooled. Didn't work out well for it in the end, obviously. So, yeah. I mean, it was a good show. It tackled a lot of things that teenagers were talking about, and it didn't talk down to them. But in year one... In oh. year one, with that Friday night death slot... Facts of Life was a thing on TV. Thank you to whoever suggested us to cover this episode, by the way. Yep. I don't remember who said it on Twitter, but yeah. Thanks for suggesting this, because... uh... It was a really interesting uh, discussion we had. One more fun fact, if we can bring out that Toys R Us kid one more time. Oh, neat! Molly Ringwald revealed in an interview that she was actually supposed to stay on as a regular for season two. But the producers decided they needed an older girl who could be a foil for Blair. She was fired. So the experience of being hired and then fired was so disappointing that after one scene in the season two premiere, she turns out offers to do guest appearances on the rest of the show. And this was before she became somewhat of a big deal. So, yeah. And actually, right now, you can watch the pilot episode of The Facts of Life for free on YouTube, courtesy of the Norman Lear Effect YouTube channel. The pilot episode is in there in full if you want to watch to your heart's content. Well, you can find this, along with all the 330 episodes that preceded this on our website, it was a thing on TV.com, where we got all of our past shows, of course, as I mentioned, 
all the live shows, all the mini-sodes, and all sorts of great, fun stuff you can find over there. And also, don't forget, we are on all social media at It Was A Thing On TV, except for Facebook, where uh, Blair Warner snitched on us to Mark Zuckerberg. Yes! So we had to take at It Was A Thing On TV podcast. But don't forget, if you're on YouTube, remember to like, subscribe, and then hit the notification bell to stay up to date on all future entries, including our next episode where, well, what happens when you revive a popular game show in the early 90s and try to update it for a modern audience? Well, it's Disaster Defined on the next installment of It Was a Thing on TV. For Greg and an in absentia Mike, my name is Chico. Thank you ever so much for listening. Please be kind to each other, and we will see you for the next one. Wow! Well, for now, we are going to use our powers to help you get better. Thank you. But as long as I have Mrs. Garrett's giant rack by my bedside, I'll be all right. Girls! 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 (laughs) (laughs) Janie, you told me you couldn't believe in someone that didn't believe in you. I believed in you. I always believed in you. Oh, Jake. Oh, God. I can't believe you fell for that crap. That's from Pretty in Pink. Are you sure? Trust me. Excuse me. What are you doing? Let me give you a little piece of advice here, Jake. Why don't you lose the I'm the cute and sensitive popular boy with the big sideburns routine? It's just too pathetic. And for once, tell Janie what's true in your heart. Stop being such a little And you, Janie, little miss other side of the tracks, awkward rebel girl with the pseudo-intellectual glasses, why don't you wise up to Jake's bull Stop being such a dumbass. She's right. <laughs> <laughs>